house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Our name is the Leisure Seeker. We've had a lot of wonderful trips in this old rust bucket. I'm finally taking John to see Hemingway's house in Key West. Kids, we won't be gone long. You know that Dad can't drive in his condition. Where are we? We're not home. No, hon. This is Pennsylvania. What the dickens are we doing in Pennsylvania? This is just something I really need to do with your father. Who's that? That's the littlest one. He's got a name, and it's Will. Well, yeah, William. Who are these people? Your nephews and nieces. No, they're students. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that is making the most of our ridiculous mustache. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my gentleman of leisure, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Isn't there like an old like '90s SNL bit? I'm not, trying to not confuse it with the Continental. Right? But wasn't there something about a man of leisure? What's the man of leisure? It sounds plausible. It sounds deeply plausible for sure. Or maybe that's like an Austin Powers thing. You are you meaning to say if I am your gentleman of leisure, are you calling me the titular leisure seeker? Am I a method of transportation? <laughs> okay, can I talk? Because listeners, can we say off the top? Yeah. There is a titular leisure seeker, and it is not Helen Mirren. It is not Donald Sutherland. It's their it camper. It is their Winnebago. It's their damn camper. Here's the other thing, and this is perhaps the biggest surprise off of the top, and like in a movie that held a couple of surprises for me, and we'll get to them. The <laughs> fact that this was a movie that was sight unseen by both of us. Neither one of us had seen it. I had never seen so much as a trailer for it. I had... Uh, famously, and we'll get to this, guessed the Helen Mirren Golden Globe nomination site unseen. <laughs> that no one else in the world guessed. I assumed it was the Leisure Seeker because it was Helen Mirren and she's Dame Helen Mirren and she's, you know, good in English. And then get into this movie, not only are they American, but it's the, pronouncing it the Leisure Seeker like some damn Midwesterners. And it feels <laughs> so much less fancy. Don't you now. drag my culture. Listen. Um, I listen, Buffalo is the Midwest of New York State, so I can see this too. <laughs> um it sounds so less so much less fancy now. I was I was at least hanging on to the idea that the Leisure Seeker. The Leisure Seeker. Now it's just like we're in the Leisure Seeker. It's just like, okay, well, you know, I respect you less now. Sorry. Um What else do you do? But seek leisure when in a Winnebago. <laughs> what do uh, old people do except seek leisure and lie? Like that's <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie. I'm kind of dying to hear what you. No pun intended. To hear what you uh, thought about it because I'm watching it yesterday and. I'm trying to work through my own feelings about it because, like, I go into these movies, especially these movies that are, like, super out of the way, like, super small, you know, uh, Oscar curiosities. And I'm like, maybe I will find a hidden gem. Maybe I will find my Danny Collins. I'm always on the hunt <laughs> for another Danny Collins. 
I will say this was not a Danny Collins. It's me. not a Danny Collins. However, just to like, if we're talking about our responses to this movie, I feel like I have to like lay some groundwork for the listeners who have no idea what this movie is. And when it popped up in their feed, they said, what the hell? Is oh, that? right. Yeah. So the leisure seeker aforementioned, uh, Dame Helen Mirren received a Golden Globe for Best Actress in Golden Globe nomination. or Comedy. Nomination. Nomination. Yeah. And out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Who could have predicted on it? On nomination morning, everyone was like, what the hell is The Leisure Seeker? Uh-huh. And who had predicted this to happen but none other than our treasured Joe Reed? This guy. When I saw that prediction, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Of course, everybody should be predicting this because... And I predicted Typically, it, like, morning of. It was, like, a very last-minute thing where I was like, I should just throw out some, like, for shits and giggles predictions for the Golden Globes. And I was like, Helen Mirren is eligible for a movie called The Leisure Seeker in musical or comedy? <laughs> Hell yes, that's gonna happen. Like, absolutely, right. 100%. This is post her being nominated, I believe post, being nominated for The Hundred Foot Journey. Mm-hmm. A movie Which I will had say had an actual campaign. I but. had seen that movie prior to her getting nominated, and I was actually right, quite happy right. for that because well, it's a kind of a lovely movie. Part of the reason no one knew what the hell this was, it had played um, in competition at Venice, and I believe was a gala at. T- I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. And, and still was like the most anonymous. And still, movie. just absolutely on nobody's radar. Really didn't register at either of those festivals. Yeah. Sony Classics had it or picked it up at that point. Yeah. And they only did it for a qualifying run. It didn't get its right. real theatrical release until 2018. Yeah. Uh, take a look at uh, Sony Classics lineup this year, and they have multiple qualifying releases, as mm-hmm. they tend to do. As they tend to do. Especially, especially for international feature uh, competitors. So this movie so, kind of ended up getting looped into the those Golden Globe curiosities like infinitely polar bear, right? Where it's like nobody's right. ever heard of it. The title sounds like a parody of a movie that would be nominated for awards. <laughs> and this movie's basically a this had Oscar Buzz punchline. Essentially, you know, if we like... had made like this had Oscar Buzz the movie and we needed a handful of fake movies to talk about a movie called The Leisure Seeker starring Helen Mirren that is a Golden Globe nominee for best uh, actress in a musical or comedy like that's what we like that's what our writers room would have come up with if we had a this had Oscar buzz game show there would certainly <laughs> be some type of game uh, the price is right of this had Oscar buzz there would be a leisure seeker type of yeah. game i do like, like that we are both steadfastly dedicated to not pronouncing it leisure i'm very happy for us i i i, I won't let go jack i'll never we let go we are many things midwestern or faux midwestern but we are also gay we're going to play the leisure seeker <laughs> we um, are going to put on airs and that is all there is to it so basically, again, this movie is kind of a punchline yeah. movie that it's like, it's a fake movie, doesn't exist, no one has seen it. Right. So like, that's where we're coming from in doing this. Yes. We also, because this is, we are, I believe, on the eve of the Globes. I was going to say, Globes this is our Golden Globes are back, baby episode. <laughs> we're talking about the Globes and we're talking about essentially yeah. weird Golden Globe nominations that happen. Yeah. I've been um, spending a lot of time trying to justify my enthusiasm for having the Golden Globes back. Because, like, it, now more than ever, it feels um, uh, 
naughty to be enthusiastic about the Golden Globes. It feels somewhat, <laughs> um, uh, you know, shunnable that uh, that I'm so happy to have them. And it's just like, and it's you know, obviously. Whatever. I'm not going to get into discussions of like, you know, it's like that meme how of, bad you know, bad. where you have the two people on the train and one of them is looking at the beautiful sunset right. on one side of the train and the other is looking at like the cave wall, the sad rocks. And yeah. what it is, is you like the globes or you don't like the globes, but you're both saying the globes are terrible. Right. Right. Well, and this is yes. And I think a lot of the when you get past the idea of like everything about the golden globes that like is justifiably rotten yeah there's this idea that like oh but they're also like um they're completely fabricated right they're completely you know it's all yes. about who you campaign blah, blah 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 and it's like and people sort of pull that card out it's like you know that like the studios like purchase these votes you know that the studios pay for these lavish whatever whatever and go it's back like, to our best episode on the muse for well, um look at our episode on the tourist also yeah um and they're sort of pulling out that card like it's news and it's just like yeah like we we get it we go with that flow it's it's the their thing, thing about the globes that is embarrassing and you know not reputable is part of the fun yes. and of enjoying the globes because it's all pageantry like not yeah. even respectable pageantry but like I don't know I think we well, as gay people can understand that but when you see these we can hold two truths uh, in our head but here's the other straight thing straight bro critics judging it it's like you don't get it it's Stop talking. it's also the fact that. I talk all the time about all I want out of a movie awards ecosystem is for each little component part to have its own idiosyncrasies, right? I want the New York film critics to be their own particular thing. I want the Screen Actors Guild to have their own tendencies and preferences. I want BAFTA to do BAFTA things. And the more that each of these component parts can be their own quirky little selves, that's better for me Good. and i like yeah. the fact that like the absolute sort of uh no taste taste of the golden globes like is their vibe and right and the other thing that i thought of was in terms of like the bribery of it all like the <laughs> shameless shilling and bribery of it all it's not like the the movies that end up nominated for the Golden Globes were the only ones that year who tried to buy their way into the Golden Globes. Like, they all try to do it. They can't nominate all of them. So it still comes down to the Hollywood Foreign Press having weird, weird, specific taste. And yeah. and that, at least to me, is a little fascinating. And Well, and you also kind of... I think, I mean, maybe this is getting into the weeds, but I think it's nuance that's valuable in terms of, like, where we're at with the Golden Globes and, like, enjoying them. Is like, there's a difference between the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and Dick Clark Productions, which put the right. Golden Globes on right. the air right. and put the Golden Globes on the map, made it, a, they are, you know, making it a ceremony where all these stars go and get drunk. Yeah. And, you know, and you they're also these. not perfect because they're the ones who kept no. inviting Ricky Gervais back for like <laughs> several more times but but also like one thing i think about the globes that is very interesting is like you know they've in combating the type of 
institutional problems that they've had and they've invited these new member uh, a slew of new members to their ranks yeah. and i believe they're trying to boot uh some of the you know worst offenders in their ranks right but like their nominations still stay right the and same like, tenor to me, of I say, wild to me i say thank especially God. if you look at their tv nominations still it's like uh, what? Here's the other, and I've said this before. If your complaints about the Golden Globes are, if if the top ten of your complaints about the Golden Globes have anything to do with their television nominations, get right out of the room. I don't want to talk to you. The Golden right. Globe television nominations might as well be a game of like darts, right? Just like right. throwing darts at a board. It could not matter to the degree to which the movie awards don't matter. The television awards really don't matter. And it's do kind of matter. wild to me that any kind of comeuppance, and I'm using once again, fantastic Mr. Fox quote marks, uh, comeuppance for the Golden Globes was spurred by people being mad about their television nominations, which, <laughs> which are, don't mean which are a literal joke like they are there to pad out the running time and star count of the golden globe ceremony that is the only thing they are there for so well and some like there is a history of like i think you've even written about this of the idea of the golden globe ingenue of television that it's like there is always the the one that is like before they left the house that day that's what they vote for well and maybe it's a lot of the history is very, uh, you know, biased towards new programs and such. But like, yeah. it's also people watch who Wednesday happy and Jenna Ortega get... for Wednesday win this year. Like, she that's is happen. going to win that globe. Hundred percent. Period. Hundred percent. Does she deserve it? No. But does it matter? No. Absolutely not. But there's people in the past who have that, like. The Emmys never really recognized, like, sure. Rachel Bloom. Exactly. Uh, Carrie exactly. Russell for Felicity. Jennifer like, Garner for Alias. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, is it nice to see Party those people Party of Five won a Golden TV? Globe. Right. I'm glad that all of those things happened. Yes. Absolutely. Right. 100%. So... That is and then my... sometimes people get drunk yes. and uh, have wild speeches. Yes. I don't know what Jacqueline Bissett I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, it's so funny that that's the first thing that I thought of, too, even though she's far from the only one. Um, but but yeah. then there's also the, the schadenfreude, the joy, the curveball of... You know, they're absolutely horrible, absolutely bought, whether it was bought with actual campaign dollars from the studios or by glad handing and bought with time and FaceTime of famous people like Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like God bless that though. God bless Aaron Taylor Johnson. I'm glad he got his, um, (laughs) for an awful movie, but God, do I enjoy Aaron Taylor Johnson? So I'm glad that that happened. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. I'm so glad that they're back and I'm, I'm, I'm declining to, to feel abashed about that anymore. So there we go. What else do you do by watching the Golden Globes than seek leisure? 100%. I am a leisure seeker when I sit down in front of the Golden Globe Awards. That is absolutely true. So we condemn all the horrible things we've done. The, the awards ceremony is different. You can boot all of the horrible people. And the Globes should right. say the Globes, and I think they are. I think, I think we are in agreement there. All right. So back to The Ledger Seeker, a movie that, again, exists in this Schrodinger's box of, you know, is it there if we don't see it? Is it, uh, is it plausible or whatever? We opened the box, and there it actually was, right there on Amazon Prime Video. And... Uh, we're going to talk about it, and in talking about it, it's an odd little 
document, right? Like what I was trying to think of like a movie that I was going to compare it to and on a tone level, on a subject matter level, it's about a married old couple. They both have, we learn fairly early on, even if we don't learn the specifics, they both have um, terminal illnesses, right? We can tell that she has something, probably cancer because, you know, she's wearing a wig and, and that sort of cinematic shorthand. And he very obviously from an early stage, like has uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, some kind of thing. And so they're on a road trip against their children's wishes. We'll get into the plot description, obviously, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but like we've seen that kind of general premise for a movie, right? Older people dealing with terminal illness, older people sort of breaking free from the chains of, you know, what their children feel like is safe for them to do. Um, Tonally, though, I could not pin this thing down for the life of me. And I wonder if you had a similar experience. I didn't. I I kind of went with it a little bit more, and tonally, I I kind of got it. You know, it's the type of thing that wants to be funny when it wants to be funny, and wants to be a weepy when it wants to be a weepy. Like it, you know, it, it's very much that type of crowd pleasing for a certain crowd uh, type of movie that you know wants to have its cake and eat it too. Well, but then um, it wants to like make a statement about the Trump election, and it wants to say something about like. <laughs> autonomy, end-of-life autonomy decisions, right? And it wants to say something... It kind of half-says it, too. And it yes, feels like it, it half stumbled says into everything. it by accident. Yeah. Because, listeners, we're going to tell you some wild things about this movie. Yeah. Um, it is a Trump election time capsule. The movie opens with a caption that says, like, August 29th, 2016. Yeah. And I say to myself... That's your stomach just drops odd. right through to the floor at that point. And the song cue that opens the movie is Carol King's It's Too Late. Uh-huh. The song and then you this see movie... like a Trump flag flying down the street. And I was like, oh no. The song cues in oh, this movie no. are very much like your mom and dad's record collection in a way, and you know, for better and worse. And um, closing credits cue is me and Bobby. Of McKee. course it is, hundred percent. You could have set your watch to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so, but it doesn't do as much of that as I feared it would from that opening. But like, they do randomly end up in a Trump rally, and he, uh, the, uh, the husband played by Donald Sutherland, ends up like getting invested in the crowd because he has full blown dementia right, and right. thinks that he's just having fun and has no idea what they're saying right. or doing. Which is, are, and, do you get like, it? Do you get the commentary that only somebody with mental, uh, a mentally declining state could support Donald well, Trump. Well, and Do you they get it? filmed this movie in the summer of 2016, so it feels yeah. like it was something that was kind of added on the fly, which I think I do is is confirmed by the movie because it's like none of that thread is really developed all that much. You could just uh-huh. as easily excise it from the movie. Then I do tend know, to cut movies. Integral a bit of a longer rope when it comes to that kind of thing, because I do, as I have said before, feel like this country suffered a psychotic break somewhere along that presidential campaign and election. And we have yet to recover from it and we maybe never will. So like at some, like that election broke our brains and, and made everybody in this country in one direction or another, absolutely full-blown insane and it's never like it we have not recovered from it and so like anytime a movie 
addresses it at all, it all seems insane. And I'm like, well, of course, like, there's no way around it. Like, this is why I say The Good Fight is the premier document of our times, because, like, <laughs> that is a show that that very much intentionally tries to make you feel crazy. And um, and that is accurate and, and correct uh, for our times. But anyway, um, that's only one small scene in this movie. There's also... I kept momentarily being like, what is this movie trying to tell us about you know, the American Midwest and like fast food and like, you know, uh, elder care and, um, you know, uh, suicide and, and illness. And And then finally I was just like, it's, it's not really saying very much, even though it's touching on all of these things, but I also don't want to ding it for being, for not saying very much because like it is ultimately, making a good faith effort, I think, to make a movie about two characters such as these. I don't think there is any sinister intent in this thing, ultimately, even though I don't think it really ends up saying much of anything. I think it's probably the uh, an example of a movie that uh, not only has four credited screenwriters, Uh but um, it's a movie that's just like kind of a sweet movie about this aging couple that is made by very serious people that they're trying to, you know, reach for deeper meaning um, or like, you know, themes for people to grapple on, but like not, it's not about any of those things. It's ultimately just a nice Saturday afternoon movie, which I liked a lot more than I thought. Okay. All right. I'm excited to get into it. I think I probably liked it less than you did, but like, let's mix it up. Let's go for it. Um, I enjoyed myself. I mean, maybe it's because I was being the jerk and being like, well, it's just this. But like, being just that, I was able to enjoy myself. Wow. The soft bigotry of low expectations by Chris (laughs) File. All right. Uh, We're going to get into the plot description in a second. Chris, uh, crack your knuckles, get ready, fire up that Winnebago, um, throw away the the bullets from your shotgun just in case, um, (laughs) get well and truly prepared. This is a movie- Just in case you want to shoot one of my old lovers who does not claim me. If you are worried that this was a movie that doesn't feature Helen Mirren brandishing a shotgun at two uh, (laughs) highway ruffians- don't worry. It absolutely is. Um, all right. But Chris, you prepare. I will give the basics. We are talking about the 2017 film, The Leisure Seeker, directed by uh, Paolo Virzi, his first English language film, if I'm not mistaken, written by Stephen Amadon, Francesca Archibrugi, Francesco Piccolo, and, of course, Paolo Virzi, based on the novel by Michael Zandurian, starring Golden Globe-nominated Helen Mirren, never-Oscar-nominated Donald Sutherland, Christian McKay, Janelle Maloney, uh, Dana Ivey, that wanton slut, uh, <laughs> Dick Gregory, and, and I'm using this in all caps, and doing the like uh Tiffany New York Pollard uh Beyonce meme, Danielle Deadweiler, who shows up <laughs> late in this movie and I about fell out of my chair, um, premiered in competition at the Venice Film Festival on September third, twenty seventeen. Then, as Chris mentioned, played a Tiff Gala 
September 8th, 2017, and then did not open until a limited release. It qualified for uh, for 2017 awards, but then did not open for real until a limited release on March 8th of 2018, at which point that Golden Globe buzz had gone ice, ice cold. Um, It did not make very much money at all. But Chris, I'm going to pull out my phone with my little stopwatch. Are you ready to do... A 60-second plot description. Absolutely. All right. Your time starts now. All right. So in The Leisure Seeker, we're following the Spencers, John and Ella. They are an elderly couple who uh, get in their Winnebago and take off without the approval of their overprotective uh, son and their kind of somewhat absent but successful in her career daughter. Uh, Basically, this is just kind of a road trip movie. They get pulled over by the cops. They stop in diners. They meet a nice uh, couple uh, at a gas station. All this, they're going to different various uh, like camping grounds. Meanwhile, what we're really seeing is the dynamic of their relationship. Relationship where John is afflicted with dementia. He comes and goes. He'll be like himself and like uh, be present as himself for very brief moments. And we see a lot of Ella's frustrations with this. Meanwhile, Ella is also uh, having a cancer diagnosis that she is keeping secret from basically everyone. And we discover along the way as uh, they visit the nursing home of one of her former lovers that John has always had uh, jealousy about, but also it's revealed that John has had an affair with their neighbor, played by Dana Ivy, the hussy, um, and they uh, they basically reconcile all of this, and Ella uh, asphyxiates them in The Leisure Seeker at the end of the movie so that they can go peacefully together. 15 seconds over time, but uh, happy to let you do it. Yes, in fact... Cannot believe I went over time on the that. The titular Leisure Seeker becomes their quite literal tomb in this movie by the end. Um, I don't think what it was... What is the afterlife if not the seeking of leisure? I don't think it was so much that nobody knew Helen Mirren had cancer. It was just nobody... She didn't let it on to anybody on the road trip because the children do that talk she about... she is, like, actively dying. Right, because the, child, the children talked about how she was declining treatment and and that's why one of the reasons why they were not happy that they were on this road trip. It's becoming so aggressive that she fears that she is going to go before him even though his dementia is aggressive. Right. And he's not going to be able to be taken care of. Well, he also has a scene where he in a moment of lucidity tells her when the time comes for him load the shotgun yeah uh, hand it to let him me kill myself tell him tell him that this is what he told her he wanted uh to do and then uh, uh leave the room and so cl- this this is a um you know the permission slips for this for this suicide by the end of this movie are written i do feel like there's an ending she writes a note leaves a note for her kids that he has, gets gets you know, the voiceover treatment for the end of the movie. And one of the things she was just like, you're going to be mad about this, but you're also going to feel relieved because the burden of taking care of us is gone. And I was like, that brushes up on the edge of maybe making me feel a little bit icky that the, like the, the sweet note almost that this movie goes out on and this, like, isn't it nice that these two old people relieved the children of the burden of having to take care of them into, you know, through their... And it's like, I get... I mean, I, 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 I you uh, know, support, you know, being able to choose uh, your death at, the, at those times. And, I like, do, you too. Know, people up their situation. But, like, wouldn't the better question be, 
wouldn't it be great if they had a better way and more holistic way of being able to make that choice for themselves? Well, you right. know, rather than right. gassing themselves in a Winnebago. I just get a little know? bit icked out with this whole thing of just like, thank God their parents did the right thing and relieved <laughs> their children of the burden. And it's just like, you could have maybe like finessed that. The way you'd say that a little bit. I don't know. Well, Christian McKay, who I also did a full Tiffany Pollard when he showed up in the first five minutes of this movie, as their very American son. Is it, is it because he absolutely does not suit that role one bit? No. He's just like, and it's like, the weirdest casting. The, but the also the like dynamic is like he is so overprotective but you know maybe emotionally ill-equipped to be you know the parents caregiver but the other daughter has this very successful career right. that they want to well he's you know. the like sad gay adult like there's so many points in this movie yeah, where they the walk up closeted gay adult where they too. walk up to the line of like helen mirren's character really like they're like dropping hints like lead balloons where she's just like that was will's friend they were such close friends back then whatever I happened felt, to though, that the, guy what she's actually doing is she's like tell me you're fucking well, gay before i die on the and phone call yes on the phone call where she's like that business partner who you suddenly stopped talking to entirely was that your and then like but like when she's yeah. going through the slideshows with the husband she's like that's will's friend brian he was always around they got along so well together and then we never saw him again what do you you know it's just like and then click next slide um it was a little it was unsubtle in which like i don't i don't count unsettled uh, unsettledness against movies like this because like you know hit me with it like let's not beat around the bush you're not you're not we're not we're not the target demo for this movie sure. like i mean sure i feel like if this hadn't been made by the people who made it this could have very easily been like one of those like movies targeted towards christians that, sure like, you know it's only for septuagenarians it's know. also striking that this is a movie made by an italian filmmaker and it's his first english language film there is a kind of um curiosity to this movie of like is this what american old people are like is this what they they go to <laughs> they go to fast food restaurants you you get what what uh, is that a happy swirl that sounds like the name of a milkshake you might have in one of your in one of your fast food restaurants a happy swirl um and is this is this the the shabby way you treat your old people in in your country? Okay, like that's all right. Like uh, uh, this is what you elected. You elected all right. I know, and like Italians don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to electing fascists, but still, um, it was it was just like there was a there was a almost like a feeling of I brought up schrodinger's cat earlier but like a feeling of like peering into the petri dish and being like hmm like what is going on here in this strange little country of yours <laughs> i guess it could have been even broader i guess for me which is why i was willing to give it a long like there tether. is there is specificity in this movie which i appreciate there's the peculiarity yeah. and i do feel like mirin and sutherland within the bounds of playing these characters, I think, do a good job. There's a few times where the script sort of calls for them to be a little wacky. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but I think in general, they paint a good I portrait. I think Mirren tempers that. I think she's kind of wonderful. I do not think that this is a bad Globe nomination. 
I've seen worse. I don't know if the movie's fully a comedy, but I have seen worse. I've seen worse. I've seen worse. Well, we'll talk about what's fully a comedy when we talk about the other nominations that year. Um, But I want to talk about the movie for a little bit more before we move into the globes of it all, because we're really going to, I think, go heavily into um, uh, that nomination, because it really is the only reason why we can do this this movie as an episode is because of that Golden Globe nomination. Um, I... That scene where she pulls out the shotgun is sort of a microcosm of the scene of the movie in general, where it's just like, now I'm having fun. Now I'm having a good time. Do I feel good about it? Do I feel good about how good of a time I'm having with this scene? Because it is really kind of cheesy. But I'm I'm watching Helen Mirren again brandishing a shotgun at two street toughs on the highway and getting one over on them, and they were so mean about, you know, stealing all their stuff, and I'm glad that she's, you know, she got, you know, pulled the wool over their eyes and whatever, and is now chasing them away. And yet, I'm like, it is kind of gun-toting granny in a way that, like, there's there's a, there's a an element of, uh, of clampet to, to all of this. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not a Peter Farrelly movie. It's like, sure. it, you know what the version of that movie is, and I don't think it's quite that. I mean... No, I, I agree. Some of it's pretty tempered. Well, and again, I was having fun. I was having a good time yeah. with that at that point. So, <laughs> but there's a lot of like that. Like they'll stop by a roadside, uh, you know, the truck stop or whatever to get some food, and it's that classic scene of like it's the almost famous scene, right, where you walk out of the 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 whatever mini mart and the Winnebago's driving off without you. Only in this case, it's you know, doddering old Donald Sutherland driving the Winnebago and he's left his wife behind and like, what's she to do? Oh, these motorcycle guys are right here. Let's hop on the back of your Harley and hold your wig on so that it doesn't go flying off and, and chase him down. And it's just, it's that kind of movie and that's fine. (laughs) You know, I don't know. There's some, there are some like grace notes that I, yeah. I found interesting or, you know, somewhat moving. It has a really good sex scene, which I know listeners are going to probably recoil hearing some of this, but like I did find, yeah. you know, the emotional groundedness sure. of it. Sure. It of course leads into, you know, her you know, setting up the Winnebago to end both of their lives. But it's like... Which is, which by that point, we had all long seen it coming. Like, I don't know, like, if anybody watching this movie, you must realize from a very early stage, like, this movie will end with the two of them dying. I, I initially thought that that was the purpose of this trip, was to, like take one last road trip and at the end of it we're gonna you know Thelma and, and Louise off of kind the of and maybe that was an idea in the back of her mind but I do feel like we're supposed to get the sense that like this wasn't necessarily the plan but um, right. uh there we were and yeah I I agree with you this movie has its moments I think there's a conceit where they keep recurring to she's showing him slides there's the you know Mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a cliche in itself right your grandma and grandpa are showing you slides from the old uh vacations or whatever but it's to try and get him to remember things excuse me get him to remember things and it's a good device there's a moment where a bunch of sort of uh drunken semi drunken sort of like you know 
uh, party dudes from a from a different uh, camper happen upon them and you're like oh are they gonna be mean to these two old people they seem like they're gonna be mean to these old people and th- she invites them to sit down and watch the slides and initially she'll like go to a slide and it's like whatever uh she's pregnant or whatever and they snicker for a second but like they eventually just sort of start watching the slides with them and she's like that's such and such and those are his students and they would come along come around every year and like those moments were the ones that i ended up liking those sort of uh the movie doesn't quite go to the broad direction that you think it's going to go and it has these moments of kind of sweet humanity that's the stuff that like gets me I like that. Can we talk about what uh, you could maybe call his final student? Oh, okay. Wait. Because you texted me right oh, after yes, yes. her scene happened, and you yes. were like, tell me when you scream, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I was like, like, I was like happened. did you get to the part where I screamed out loud? Um, because like, wh- that's, the, yeah. well, that's another one of these sort of recurring things, is everywhere they go, he may not be fully lucid, but he remembers his authors, right? He's a literature professor. So he remembers everything about Hemingway and Tennessee Williams and all of these people. And everywhere they stop, he finds somebody to sort of uh, teach a little bit about, uh, you know, Hemingway or, you know, just have a conversation about literature or just right. But in a way of, of just sort of like, in a way that you can imagine he was like in his earlier life where he probably was, a person at a party who would get into who liked to sort of tell you something you didn't know about uh, an author or something like that, consummate college professor. And so it's these very. In most of these conversations, it's really him talking at somebody. And they're they always. They aren't able to engage it. And they're usually pretty polite about it. You know what I mean? And they're just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And finally, they end up at this restaurant, and all of a sudden, who's the waitress at their table but Danielle Deadweiler, and I... In full close-up, Danielle Deadweiler. Literally, because I was like, I'm, you know, watching the movie, and I'm making my notes, and I'm, you know, preparing the spreadsheet, or the uh, the outline. And so I look up to the television, and I literally, it was one of those double takes, which is like, ba 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 ba, and it's just like, Danielle <laughs> Deadweiler, are you kidding me? Um, and so that went into my notes immediately in all caps, Danielle Deadweiler. Um, it's not currently great. there, but I do think at one point it wasn't her known for. <laughs> Luckily, you know. I had no idea. I was not Till and Station her. Eleven have taken over. I did not read that far down into the cast list when <laughs> I was watching the movie. So I was that was a pure surprise, and it was a delightful one at that. So um, one scene wonder, Danielle Deadweiler, hopefully, hopefully soon to be an Oscar nominee. I'm not counting that mm-hmm. chicken before it hatches because like, you never know, but we'll see. Um, yeah, that was super fun. I thought Janelle Maloney for as much as Christian, uh, Christian McKay, I thought was, um, miscast. I thought Janelle Maloney had some good moments. The phone yeah. call she has with Helen Mirren. She's, of course... No fault of hers that they are the least believable siblings ever. Well, but it's it's mostly good. because I think Christian McKay sticks out like a sore thumb in a lot of ways from this. But, like, yeah. Uh, they, it reminded me for a little bit, for as sort of like you know, the sour children of these more interesting parents. It gave me Bridges of Madison County vibes in a little bit, where it's just like, mm-hmm. get out of here, you ungrateful children. Um, but, yeah, she was good. Did you watch The Leftovers? I know you didn't watch The West Wing, but did you watch The Leftovers? I'd never finished The Leftovers. But you remember her, I imagine, a little bit. She's Christopher Eccleston's yes. uh, comatose wife. Or, not comatose, catatonic wife. Um, she was 
you know, a West Wing person. I think that's what most people know her from. But um, yeah. What the dickens are we doing in Pennsylvania? Beep, beep, Chris. We're taking a, a, a detour off of our trek across America with Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. How dare you for... make me turn down my, uh, 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 what did they listen to again? They listened <laughs> to, um, how dare you make me turn down my Carol King? How dare you there make me go. turn down my, uh, um, what's the one at the why end? Why do I want to keep saying Joni Mitchell? Uh, I don't I'm know. sure they listen to Joni Mitchell. All right, we're off to a roaring start here in this Vulture Movies Fantasy League update. We are absolutely not recording this uh, seconds after rolling out of bed. It's fine. We're bright-eyed and bushy I have early-onset dementia, but only about musical artists from the <laughs> 1960s and 70s. Everything is great. No, we're here to talk about the, the Vulture Movies Fantasy League update coming at you mere days before the Golden Globe Awards and the SAG nominations will throw the entire league into a fresh batch of chaos. But before that happens... Chris, we locked the Rotten Tomato scores for all big, of our movies. Big update. I'm sure that there was quite a bit of shifting happening on the leaderboard. The, Everybody the, got the, a lot of points. Uh, po- the points you your went right. around. Our top couple teams have stayed pretty consistent. It's uh, this team called Isa, Isa, uh, who are holding on to the lead with their team made up of Tar and Elvis and Women Talking and Pinocchio, Bones, The Banshees, uh, RRR, and Aftersun, which is a pretty, like, there are no, if I guess the weak spot in that lineup is Bones, but, like, honestly. Probably at the end of the line for the Bones, but the Bones did get the uh, Indie Spirit points, so. And the Indie Spirit awards are still to come, and, like, it could win an award there at the Indie Spirits. You never know. But otherwise, like, that's a pretty, it's not a surprise that that team is hanging in first place, although I will say that the film that I think is going to win Best Picture at the moment, which is Everything Everywhere All at Once, is not in that lineup, which means mm-hmm. this is anybody's game, I still feel like, in the fantasy uh, in the fantasy movie league, which is very fun. Um, but yeah, so on January 2nd, all of the Rotten Tomatoes scores essentially locked for every movie that's in the fantasy league. And so points were then distributed thusly. And uh, just to... Uh, remind all our listeners in case you haven't committed all of these rules to memory um for rotten tomatoes a 96 to 100 point score on rotten tomatoes got you 50 points 86 to 95 got you 20 points 75 to 85 got you 10 points 65 to 74 got you five points 26 to 64 got you nothing and the bottom of the barrel zero to 25 point rotten tomato scores got you negative five points only one movie chris fell into that negative five point zone i asked you and katie on our text thread to guess it earlier this week uh and uh, it took katie a few guesses but she finally got it it was the Adventures of Dr. Michael Morbius uh, in Morbius. The I believe I Morbius, Morbius got like, yeah, Morbius, what is that, a, a 13 on Rotten Tomatoes? What was the Morbius score? Hold on, I'll scroll down and look. Uh, Morbius Listen, got eight. I'm not judging any gameplay here, but if you drafted Morbius. Six teams. Six. Six whole teams had Morbius on their roster. I need them to show themselves. I need a power presentation showing their work, what the justification was for drafting Morbius. A 15 on Rotten Tomatoes. I could. The only justification I could see is 
visual effects nominations got to go somewhere. And sometimes visual effects nominations go to bad movies. I still wouldn't have picked it even on that basis, but <laughs> I'm listen, six proud teams had that movie on their roster and I'm not going to I'm not going to shun them because they could very well be Garys and we we support Garys in all of their decisions. Um but anyway, so there were what did I say? There were eight movies that reached the pivotal uh, top echelon, the 50-point tier of Rotten Tomato scores. Seven, I think it's seven. No, because if you look at the list uh, for listing uh, purposes, uh, is that black enough for you? Got a hundred, and that's for oh, some fantastic. reason listed uh, at the bottom because uh, alphabetizing in Excel or in Google Sheets rather does weird. So, uh, is that black enough for you? Is the only one that got a hundred percent. Otherwise, we had Till and Santo Mare and Fire of Love with ninety-eight, Banshees of Inisherin and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio with ninety-seven. And then Top Gun Maverick and After Sun with 96. Those are our top tier. Those are our 50-point scores. I have three of those on my roster, which I was pretty happy with. Banshees of Inisherin, Pinocchio, Fire of Love are all on my roster. I have four. Hit me with them. Uh, Till Santa Mare, Fire of Love, and Banshees of Inisherin. Not bad, Chris. Hogging those Rotten Tomatoes points. Um, I think the best that I saw anywhere was a four was a roster with four of them. I don't know if I had, had seen. I haven't gone through every single uh, roster because that's a lot of rosters. But towards the top of the leaderboard, at least, I perused rosters, and I don't think I had seen anybody with anything better than four. Oh wait, okay, I was wrong. There was one team that I saw at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, Team Skellert, which is now currently in fourth place, had five films that I saw in that top wow. tier of Rotten Tomatoes points. They had Banshees, After Sun, Fire of Love, Till, and Pinocchio. So that's pretty good. Like, props to Team Skellert for that. That's, uh, that's pretty rad. So the thing that's, to me, even more intriguing, though, are the movies that came one point short of the 50-point tier, and thus are all the way down at 20 points. Like, that's a 30-point swing on missing, like, on being one percentage point short on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> which I think is fascinating. And those movies were everything all everything everywhere all at once, which is doing fine. Like, you have no place to complain if you have everything everywhere. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which... Secretly making $100 million at the box office right now. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. So box office has been so bad. The only movies since the league has started to have gotten the $50 million bonus to have, you, you get a bonus in the league. If your movie gets $50 million or above, the only movies who have attained that before Puss in Boots were Wakanda forever and Avatar. Like it's been that kind of a year. Yeah. And so now Puss in Boots is going to get that $100 million bonus. It's still going to be the only the third movie to uh, to do that since the since the league started in November. Um, but anyway, and if it everything... ends up with that anim- animated feature nomination, that could be actually a really great uh, a pick good pickup. A good pickup, because uh, let me go look and see how much that would have cost you. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish... Would it cost you five bucks? Like that's a pretty uh, cost-effective pick if it does. It's a good turnaround. If it does, in fact, get that uh, get that animated feature nomination, which it's not guaranteed for, but uh, it's in good position. Speaking of that uh, animated feature, Oscar Turning Red was another movie that was just one point short 
of the top tier. I also have turning red on my roster, so I came close to having four, um, I will say. Or actually, mm-hmm. close to having five, because I also have everything everywhere all at once. The next um, one, I think, is probably cementing its place as one of the best buys for per dollar value that you could have drafted. And if it had just gotten that 96 instead of a 95, I guarantee it would have been, even would have been by the end of the season. Well, already, we talked about the best values uh, a week or two ago, two weeks ago, and... Uh, that was a love song. A love song had was already at the top of those charts with a dollar buy and gotten a whole ton of points. So um, good for you, a love song. You're killing it this season. So we talked about Morbius being the only one that got people negative points. But did were there any surprises for you that you were like, that movie got reviewed better than I thought it did? Looking at these Rotten Tomato scores. Um, I honestly thought that Tar was in the upper 90s, so, like, yeah. that doesn't answer your question. Um, it's, Tar's like, kind of 90. the opposite of what you're asking. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought that that, I thought that Tar was gonna get net me another 50 points, and I was completely wrong. Yeah. Oh, you know what? There is one more, now that I'm looking at this, oh god, my newsletter was wrong. You guys, exclusive, my newsletter was slightly wrong. Uh, it's because Google Sheets treats numbers in the way that I have sorted it, like the alphabet, which is dumb. Um, <laughs> Poker Face, which I believe was a... Hold on. I gotta look up what this movie was. Because, Poker Face? Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe, Liam Hemsworth. I believe this was a theatrical release, uh, where Russell Crowe plays uh, a tech billionaire at a poker game. It's him and Liam Hemsworth. And who else is in this movie? Riza is also in this movie. This was back in the spring, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be mistaken. Nope, I was wrong. It was in November. Um, and it also was probably streaming release. So I'm wrong on a lot of things about Poker Face. You guys, honestly, I'm going to admit, I'm going to take the L on this one that uh, that I don't know a ton about uh, the Russell Crowe. Oh, God, and he dire- it's the one that he directed. There was a movie that Russell Crowe directed and starred in that we know nothing virtually about. nothing about. Maybe that's on us. Maybe that's on us for not being as uh, up-to-date on the Russell Crowe of it all. But anyway, that movie got a 9 on Rotten Tomatoes. So if you had picked that one, I want to see how many people picked Poker Face. Hold on. 24 teams picked Poker Face. Wow. What? That means that 24 people know what Poker Face is. That was a dollar bet. I imagine that was people who said, listen, for a dollar, I'm going to put my money on Russell Crowe. And by that point, it hadn't opened yet. Like, by the time the Fantasy League started, it's not like Morbius. People knew what Morbius was. By the time the Fantasy League started, Poker Face hadn't opened yet. Um, So I could see you looking at that and being like, directed by and starring Russell Crowe. That could be something. He's an Oscar-winning actor. He's somebody who was, you know, once incredibly beloved by the Hollywood firmament. Why not? So I could see why 24 teams went and and rostered Poker Face. But again, it did not help you. It got you negative five points on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. This is a little bit of a chaotic update, Chris. I'm sort of all over the place on this one. Yeah. We're learning stuff. To loop back and answer your actual question about things yeah. that I uh, thought did better than I would have expected. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert landed at an 83. 
I wonder if yeah. people were being maybe a little generous at the end of the year. I think that movie is fine, but not. I good. didn't see spoiler alert, but I just knowing what it's about, I would imagine that there is a uh an impulse to not be mean to that movie, given sure. that it's like a true story and it's such a sad tale that I, as a reviewer, would probably not be would not relish piling on that movie well and if i I maybe was mixed on it and they were like what do you when rotten tomatoes is like so is your mixed review positive or negative i would probably be inclined to just be like yeah it's positive Uh, sure sure i mean um most of my things that made that not a good movie is that the star of the movie is miscast and not good at it um i've heard this yeah. yeah everything around it is is like better but like still uh jim parsons is enough to make it not good um nobody seems to like jim parsons i will say where were all those emmy voters who voted him all of those emmys where are they now where are they when uh, i will just say he is definitely not a dramatic actor uh i'll do respect to jim parsons i don't want to be part of the jim parsons pile on but like he's just not the not a clip for this movie um again i'm gonna be soapboxy and say that i am surprised that wendell and wilde is only 80 um that movie is just getting so screwed, and it seems I'm like... I'm not surprised. I could see that movie... I could see people watching that movie and being like, what did I just watch? Like, what? Like, the fact that Wendell and Wilde and Crimes of the Future have the exact same Rotten Tomato score, like, doesn't super surprise me. <laughs> um, not the same movie, but, uh, you know... Both movies not getting their due. So I'm, look- so I'm looking at stuff like... All right, I just saw recently... In the in the waning days of the year, I watched Ron Howard's Thirteen Lives, which is unquestionably like the best Ron Howard movie in years, like years and years and years and years. It's the yeah. best Ron Howard movie in a while. Depending on give or take how well you liked Rush, because I know where there were some people who really liked Rush. I think this is the best Ron Howard movie, even uh, including that. That's an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. That was an incredibly well-reviewed movie. If you were watching this award season unfold, you would have thought that that movie was a piece of garbage and Amazon wanted to make sure that nobody saw it because they were so embarrassed by it. Like, that would be the impression, given how much that movie was, like, swept under the rug by Amazon. And I don't get it, because... I'm not the only person who liked that movie. Obviously, 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. I've heard people being like, you know what's a better movie than people are thinking? is 13 Lives. It's a good movie. And I don't know. I would also say also uh, landing at an 86, probably a good case for uh, when people are like, yeah, everybody just likes everything at festivals, is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. A movie that I know maybe nobody that likes. Oh, I know. I'm... I know almost everybody I know who saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies really liked it. That's wild to me, because, like, that movie is neither scary nor funny, nor having all that smart to say about the thing that it wants to be talking about. And like, is my generally and mixed made watchable purely by Rachel Sennett's performance. My generally mixed reaction to that movie is the most negative uh, reaction among the people who I talk to regularly like i think i see a lot of people really really like i had very little positive to say about it you are like the most negative person on that movie in my life it's like just not it's not saying anything unique i'm just saying like in terms of like but like that's perception for you right Right, like that's that's perception for you um 
But anyway, I want looking at like stuff towards the bottom of the list and like people were too mean to that. I'm trying to think I'm trying to pick like something towards the bottom that like, okay, we've both talked about not really loving Empire of Light, but it's better than a 45% Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I know you can't like craft a Rotten Tomato score to like fit it exactly. Right. But like, I'm like. Well, we've talk- talked about it. it we've talked about movies that end up in like the sixties or low seventies, where it's like, actually, if you look at the general consensus of it, it seems more mixed than what the Rotten Tomato score is. Right. I bet that that is the same thing, just leaning towards the negative, like right. where the Rotten Tomato score looks harsher than what a lot of people's opinions of. The well, and this is why are. you can't like nickel and dime the Rotten Tomatoes because, like, Death on the Nile, a movie that. I don't know a single person who liked is a 62 on there. And Babylon <laughs> is a 55. And like Babylon <laughs> is your classic love it or hate it movie, right? I, right? I know people on, I've seen people on both sides of that spectrum. I'm leaning more towards the love it than the hate it. I definitely, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, there's some like stuff I don't love in it, but mostly the stuff that I love is great. And I fucking love that movie. And I'm not surprised at a 55, but like, Death on the Nile being completely like underwhelming in every way at a sixty-two is just you know what I mean. Like that's that's this Same is why you can't take RT White too Noise seriously. also at a sixty-two. White Noise, I know nobody ready right. to go to bat for that movie. Right, and... the Whale sixty-five. Like Ugh. I know there were people at festivals who were like giving the whale positive reviews, but it was nobody that I know. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So that's just that's just how this goes. But anyway, um. If you have picked a lot of movies in that 50-point range, kudos to you and enjoy. I think award season is going to end up continuing to go well for you. If you picked Saint-Omer or Fire of Love or Pinocchio or Top Gun Maverick or after, you know what I mean? Like, award season is going to be kind to all of those movies going forward. So you're on a good momentum swing right now. Congratulations. This is when my points begin to show up. Starting next week, we're going to finally get into the realm of winner's points. We've got the Golden Globe Awards coming up on Tuesday. Tuesday, why, you ask? Because people are trying to read into that. It's just like, oh, Golden Globes are Tuesday because they're being punished for being bad. And it's like, no, Golden Globes are on Tuesday because movie awards are terrified of football. And there is a college football championship on Monday, and there is uh, NFL football on Sunday. Uh, with major playoff implications so like that is also why. these it decisions is... are usually made a year or two in advance right. and like abc it's abc right picked up and, the globes last NBC. minute so oh like, is it not still on nbc is it now on abc i thought it was abc but maybe i am misremembering but like the contract for the golden globe ceremony on whatever network they're on they bought a one-year contract to show the show and they did it like Tour, they did it, you know, in the back half of 2021 that they picked it up. So it's it, no, it's still know, on it's NBC. Not well planned. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely still on NBC and also streaming on Peacock. But um, yeah, if you are under the uh, impression that the Golden Globes got moved to Tuesday as a slap on the wrist, like that is not the case. Um, big points available. The Best Picture winners will each get 35 points. All the other winners will get 25 points. Uh, song and score get 15 points because, um, you know, they're song and score. But anyway, points to be had. Very exciting. What's going to be the weirdest movie to get 
25 points out of the Golden Globes this year. <laughs> like, what's going to be the one that wins one, like, rando category? And you're uh, like, huh. Apparently people think that Ana de Armas is winning for Blonde. I think that would be wild. Who um, would she have to beat to beat out Kate Blanchett? Lydia Tarr? Like, no. Yeah. That's, that's... I know people anticipate the Golden Globes to be on one to an extreme degree, but like that's mostly in the TV categories. Like, Apparently, Ana de Armas is getting out there and campaigning heavily. I'm and... sure she is, but like she wouldn't be the the first person to hit the campaign trail running and then run into uh, the brick wall of an actually you know well regarded. <laughs> I think it, I think if that is the case, and if it's actually working, I think she's probably more likely to get that fifth best actress slot than she is to win the Globe. You know, sure. the Globe that the one acting prize Kate Blanchett is not going to have to compete with Michelle Yeoh for. So yeah, actually the weirdest one that could, that stands a good chance to get 25 points is where the crowd ads sing. Like I could definitely see the Taylor Swift song. Yeah. Taylor Swift's golden globe. Like it's either probably, I would guess it's either going to be, well, Lady Gaga, obviously, but if it's not Lady Gaga, I think it's going to be Taylor Swift for crowd ads or uh, Natu Natu from RRR is my guess. That wouldn't be that weird, though, because, like... It would be. Let's get Natsu Natsu on the Oscar ceremony. I know that we're... I think it's going to happen. I like, I, so. I genuinely do think it's going to happen. But, I don't, yeah, I think... I don't... I am not on board with uh, all the... Uh, with everything people say about that movie. However, Natsu Natsu is innocent and uh, should be on the Oscar telecast. It's... Whatever. It's a longer conversation about RRR, but it's funny. It's, it's curious to me that you like... Natu Natu, but not the rest of the movie, since the rest of the movie has major Natu Natu energy. I think, like, I think that it also has major Braveheart energy. Yeah, you keep saying that. I I see it. I see what you mean. But, um, and that movie, like, I like, but don't like love. But whatever, we'll give plenty of chances to talk about RRR uh, in the rest of the Oscar conversation. For now, we are going to take you back to your regularly scheduled Seeking of Leisure. But before we do, I'm just going to remind you that you can go to moviegame.vulture.com and from there click a link to the landing page where you can get the complete standings and point values and uh, peruse where your team stands on the leaderboard. Just do a little Control-F search and you can find your team name and see how it's going, man. I'm in the top 400, 500, I think, right now. So things are going okay for me, I think. Lurking on those vulture staffers that are ahead of me. I'm coming to get you, (laughs) all of y'all. But yes, anyway. So see you next week when we'll be talking about the Golden Globe results. Otherwise, back to Helen Mirren. Back to the leisure. Oh my god, Leisure Seeker 2, back to the leisure. Should happen. Quickly. While there's still time, get Helen and Donald back on that bus. Open a window on the Winnebago. Listen, they could. If you had a Leisure Seeker two that was just like Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland Winnebagoing through heaven, I'm not yeah. complaining. Yeah. I'm not complaining. Is what I'm saying. Visiting all, right. all the people they fucked in their youth. <laughs> <laughs> My ticket is already purchased. All right, back all right. Let's get movie. back to it. Make sure the safety's off before you start shooting them, sweetheart. Already done it, hon. It's an interesting little movie. It's an it's a curiosity for sure. It's not something that I would recommend people like rush out and go see. But <laughs> for something that was a punchline, it is at least a functioning movie. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never seen any of this guy's other uh, Italian movies. I saw that he had directed a movie called Like Crazy, but it's not that one. It's not. Uh, <laughs> 
It's not <laughs> the, the Italian one. like crazy. Right, 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 right. Um, all right, let's talk about this Golden Globe nomination, though, because as we said, this was this is why we're talking about this. Um, big surprise on Golden Globe nomination morning. This gets nominated. It's my finest moment as a uh, as an awards person. It's my best <laughs> prediction I've ever made. I'm so proud of it. Um, also, the year that I called the SAG Ensemble nominations, I think five for five. Um, the what year was that? 2016. It was the year of Hidden Figures, I remember. Um, and it was not the five that everybody was predicting. Um, wait, no, I want to go and find that. Um, because La La Land didn't get that nomination, right? Yes. And I was like, they're not going to get that nomination. It's just the two of it's like the two of them and hardly anybody else. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, put some respect on Rosemary DeWitt's name. Listen, you nobody puts more respect on Rosemary DeWitt's name than <laughs> I do. Take that out. Um, no, it was uh, da, 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 da. Hidden Figures, uh, Fences, Fences, Manchester. Oh, that's what it was. I didn't call Captain Fantastic, but nobody did. But I called Hidden Figures, Fences, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and then I called that it wasn't going to be La La Land. And everybody's like, "You're forgetting La La Land, idiot!" And I was just like, "It's not going to get out." Get, not okay. Get and I was vindicated by that. So that Captain Fantastic ensemble nomination definitely cemented Viggo Mortensen's nomination. Oh, 100 percent Because as soon as that happened, everybody was like, yeah, he's Oh, and look who's in that movie, George. Uh oh no, that's sorry, that's not Christian McKay, George McKay. Uh George McKay. Uh uh that cast is kind of stacked though, really, when you look at it, where it's Vigo, Catherine Hahn, uh George McKay, uh Franklin Jell's in that movie, Missy Piles in that movie, Steve Zahn's in that movie. Interesting. Vigo's penis. <laughs> well, I mean, he shows up in everything. So yes. Um, but anyway, so the other nominees opposite Helen Mirren at that Golden Globes. That was the year that Sersha Ronan won for Lady Bird. I always forget that she won. Because I'm like, I that sh- that should be more sort of emblazoned in my mind, and I don't think enough time has passed for it to really like be enshrined in my head. Well, um, I think that I think the persisting narrative is that she just never got anything for that role, right? I also think you don't remember her winning because her speech was so boring. Well, it was very brief. It was she was very yeah. happy and very excited, but it was very brief. And yes, it wasn't super notable she does forget to thank laurie metcalf uh and it's one of those things where she doesn't say her name and then the camera cuts to laurie metcalf right at the end and you're just like okay like um <laughs> I, i'm you know she just forgot it's not like it was a slight or anything uh other nominees were margot robbie for i Tanya, who goes on to get an oscar nomination judy dench for victoria and abdul who came very close to getting an oscar nomination Emma Stone for Battle of the Sexes, and then Helen Mirren. And so I was like, if not Helen Mirren, like that was, I was trying to remember like who was being predicted for that five, because you look at the other also rams, and I put down Salma Hayek and Beatriz at dinner, even though I believe that is a drama, but like, so's Battle of the Sexes. I think they pushed it for comedy. I think they pushed it for comedy and like, and they'll do that. Like I said, like Emma Stone and certainly the Emma Stone parts of Battle of the Sexes are not a comedy. I get where like the Steve Carell buffoonery or whatever, you could say that's a comedy, but like that movie's a drama. Um, I put down Regina Hall for Girls Trip because like Tiffany Haddish was getting awards buzz and like if... If that movie, if a movie like that is going to show up anywhere, it would be the Golden Globes musical or comedy. Mm -hmm. And she would, Regina Hall would be the de facto lead of that movie, even though it is as close to a true ensemble as you can get. But like, there's a, she's got a little bit more lead energy in that movie. 
Uh, Aubrey Plaza and Ingrid Goes West, even though that was a very divisive movie, and her performance, I think, was especially divisive. This was before everybody decided they were all in love with Aubrey Plaza. This was when the jury was a little bit more out on her. And I put down Reese Witherspoon for Home Again because, like, that's a Golden Globe nomination right there. I feel like there were people probably... That seems the most likely for the ones that you've named that people were probably widely predicting. What am I missing? Because I feel like the widely predicted fifth slot here was probably a more mainstream comedy. But I went through all of the movies of 2017 and I couldn't find more. Like, Amy Schumer and Trainwreck, but, like, everybody hated that movie. That's a different They're not year. trying rec- not tr- uh, uh, snatched. Amy Schumer and snatched, but everybody hated that movie. Um, is this the year of I feel pretty, or is I feel pretty afterwards? I think it's afterwards. Okay, but like nobody was predicting like Zendaya for the Greatest Showman or Michelle Williams for the Greatest Showman or um, no, I don't think so. Plus, like calling either one of them a lead would have been a real stretch, even though right. like, and the Globes are known to stretch. But like, I mean, Globes has done that with comedy though. I was also thinking Zoe Kazan for uh, for um, the Big Sick, but that would also been a real stretch because she is in a coma for half of that movie. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I was I wasn't quite sure where people would have maybe been predicting other nominations for that. But anyway, this is probably but that's a big why Mirren is such a smart prediction because Mirren has this massive Globes history. Definitely sat down for a, you know, a junket with the HFPA for this movie 1 million percent. Yeah. Um well, they also so, love her and we'll get into that in a second. Um I want to see if I can find when I google Golden Globes 2018 predictions, I bet you that'll give me just winner predictions. Yeah, and I want nomination <clears throat> predictions. Um, it's lost to the SEO. Truly, like those things, and like everybody writes those. Okay, twenty twenty eight. Okay, Vanity Fair. Good friends at Vanity Fair. Um, shout out to Katie who wrote this thing. Joanna Robinson, Katie Rich, Hillary Busis, Richard Lawson, and Mike Hogan. Not a bad five person lineup. Okay, <laughs> so they predicted best actress motion picture comedy. Oh, okay. So they predicted Dench, Robbie, Ronan, Stone, and then they predicted Emma Watson for Beauty and the Beast, which is not a bad prediction. <gasps> That's what it was, and everyone was like, oh, no. Yeah. So and glad that yeah, that did People happen. were predicting that. There we go. Okay. All right. That makes sense. This is a better nomination than that would have been. It is a better nomination. There are, there are nominations that would have been better than that. I would have preferred... Almost Regina all of those Hall. others. Salma Hayek, Regina Hall, Aubrey Plaza, yeah. Reese Witherspoon. I would have preferred all of those to. I mean, to Beatrice this one. is not a comedy, but no, yeah, it's not. Salma. But again, like I said, neither is Battle of the Sex. And Helen Mirren isn't the one I would boot. The one I boot is Sorry, Dame Judy. Especially because Victoria and Abdul, in the way that that movie tried to be a comedy, I yeah, I mean, I would boot Judy, about. but I would boot Helen too. Like, I I didn't hate The Leisure Seeker, but like, if I'm only I booting one mean. though, I'm booting sure, okay, Dame okay, Judy. fine. Um, Helen Mirren is a 16-time Golden Globe nominee. <laughs> uh, half of those are for television, and half of those are for film. I want to go through the the television ones first, and then we'll have you guess the film ones. But uh, how many are for Prime Suspect? Only one. Uh, she's got a bunch wow. of Emmy nominations for Prime Suspect, but she only has one Golden Globe: Prime Suspect, the final act. So, like. They didn't start nominating her for for Prime Suspect until well after the fact. The Emmys nominated her all the time. Uh, Her very first Golden Globe nomination is for 
Most of these are for actress in a miniseries or motion picture made for television. Uh, it was a movie called Losing Chase. Do you remember that movie at all? It was an HBO no. movie directed by Kevin Bacon. Where oh Hel- yes, now I remember. Helen Mirren and Bo Bridges are married. Helen Mirren is sort of going through a crisis, and uh, Kira Sedgwick, uh, I think maybe gets like hired to help her or whatever. And she and Kira Sedgwick have like a thing. They have they like fall for each other, and um. I believe it was an HBO movie. So Mirren gets nominated for that. She then is next nominated for the television movie The Passion of Ayn Rand, where she plays Ayn Rand, which I remember being like a big... uh, Yeah. Uh, And she got Emmy nominated for that as well. Peter Fonda's in that movie. Um, And I don't... I think it's one of those like a complicated woman. Like, I don't think it's like a hagiography of Ayn Rand. And she has this very severe uh, haircut in it. But like Julie Delpy's in this movie... Uh, Peter Fonda, like I said, it's um, never saw it, but uh, I remember it being a thing throughout uh, award season. She was nominated for a TNT TV movie called Door to Door, where William H. Macy uh, plays a door to door salesman who has cerebral palsy. And it's this very sort of like uplifting kind of a movie, I believe. Actually, I've never seen that movie, so I don't know. I, she maybe plays his wife or somebody he uh goes to door to door it was a lead performance she was nominated for the 2003 the roman spring of mrs stone which i think was yep. a showtime either movie or miniseries mm-hmm. prime suspect the final act uh elizabeth the first that was the year where she's got three nominations in one year for the year she won for the queen the year she won the globe and the oscar for the queen she was nominated for that for uh elizabeth the first and for Prime Suspect. All three of those. It's insane. I believe in the same year. Um, then, movie, movie. She's nominated for Phil Spector in, uh, for 2013 uh, as uh, her performance opposite Al Pacino. And then most recently, her most recent nomination was a few years ago for the HBO, I believe it was miniseries, uh, Catherine the Great, where she played... The titular Catherine the Great. So those are her eight television nominations for the Globes. She has eight nominations for films. Can you name them? Uh, I thought that there would be more. Obviously, Leisure Seeker. Yes. The Queen. Yes. Gosford Park. Yes. uh, 100-Foot Journey. Yes. Last Station. Uh, Last Station, yes. Um, What other Oscar nominations? You're missing three forgetting um so i don't think she was nominated for one for film before gosford park you're correct so they're all going to be after you're correct she was not nominated for the madness of king george which was her first oscar nomination oh hitchcock Mm -hmm. so i have two more hitchcock Um, is correct trumbo Yes, Trumbo, you're missing one. What's the last one? And I feel like it might be obvious. Am I missing an Oscar nomination? Nope, you're not. I think she only has, what, four Oscar nominations, right? Right. Yeah. But she won on her second. Um, She won on her third. Third? Wait. Madness of King George, Gosford Park... Oh, Madness of King George. Is that the Golden Globe nomination I'm missing? Uh, no. I forgot about that nomination. What? 
Which, Madness of King George. Yeah, no, no. Gosford Park was her first Golden Globe nomination. So Madness of okay, King George okay. was not a nomination. Um, wait, does she only have three Oscar nominations? No, last no, station. No, that's four because last station. Last station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, wow, this is I not an Oscar nomination. I fully wiped that one from my brain. This is Best Actress um, in a Musical or Comedy. Yeah, that's what I was figuring. This has got to be one of the four. It's not Red, because she's supporting in that movie. She was not nominated Though for it Red. did get a Globe Best Picture nomination. Christ. I can give um, you the year if you want. I'll take the year. 2003. Okay, so this is... After God, oh, it's Calendar Girls. It's Calendar I, Girls. I had Calendar Girls at the top. Yeah, it's okay. it's the classic Golden Globes Britcom. Like they love a movie like Calendar Girls. They love who directed that movie. That was talk about some this had Oscar buzz uh, titles. Her Globe comedy nominations: Calendar Girls, The Leisure Seeker, and The Hundred Foot Journey. I mean, it's it's of a piece. I love those ones more than I love like the Hitchcock nomination. You know what I mean? Right. Like that was directed by Nigel Cole, who directed uh, Saving Grace, the Brenda Blethyn movie, who directed Maiden Dagenham the Sally Hawkins movie. So like, that's what that's, that's the genre we're talking about. The cast of calendar girls also is like Helen Mirren, Julie Walters, Penelope Wilton, uh, Linda Bassett, our beloved uh, Nellie, the cook from the hours is in that movie. <laughs> Celia Imry is in that uh, Kieran Hines. It's just, it's, it's mad libs for older British ladies. I need to rewatch that movie. That movie's a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yes, uh, Golden Globe sensation, <laughs> Helen Mirren, and she will be nominated again soon. Uh, Donald Sutherland also, I noted, uh, famously never nominated for an Oscar, even though he was in movies like MASH and Ordinary People, which were like huge Oscar successes. He finally got an honorary Oscar in 2018. He's a nine time Golden Globe nominee, but only three of them are for film for MASH. For ordinary people, and he was nominated in supporting actor for that movie Without Limits, which was one of the yeah. two Steve Prefontaine movies that came out within like a year of each other. That was the Billy Crudup one, um, mm-hmm. and he did not ultimately get the Oscar nomination for that. But uh, he's a big time. Like the Golden Globes, one of the Golden Globes tendencies, especially in the '90s and the aughts, were they have the big comp combined. They've just since like spread it out or separated it but the big combined supporting actor in all of television comedies dramas uh, tv movies miniseries chaos and the people who would end up dominating those you'd have like one or two people from series and then the people who would dominate and would usually win would be prestige actors in miniseries and tv movies so like you would get winners i want to go through um the, and then they would not be nominated for Emmys. <laughs> and they and sometimes they wouldn't be nominated for Emmys. But uh all right, so supporting all right, so starting in the nineties, you get people like Maximilian Shell for the HB movie HBO movie Stalin. Um Donald Sutherland won for the HBO movie Citizen X, Ian McKellen for Rasputin, George C. Scott for Twelve Angry Men, Gregory Peck for Moby Dick. Peter Fonda won for The Passion of Ayn Rand. Um, uh, Stanley Tucci for Conspiracy. Donald Sutherland won again for the HBO movie Path to War, which was the one about uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson played by Michael Gambon. Um, 
Paul Newman for Empire Falls. We talked about Empire Falls somewhat recently on this. Jeremy Irons for Elizabeth I. Tom Wilkinson for John Adams. Uh, and then if you go into the actresses, you get Joan Plowright for Stalin. Um, Miranda <laughs> Richardson for a movie called Fatherland. Shirley Knight for my beloved indictment, The McMartin Trial. Um, Faye Dunaway for Gia. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave for If These Walls Could Talk Too. Uh, Angelica Houston for Iron Jawed Angels. Do you remember Iron Jawed Angels? It was about yes, suffrage. Absolutely. It was about the suffragettes. Uh, Emily Blunt for Gideon's Daughter. Samantha Morton for Longford. Uh, it's, it's, that was my era of being really good at predicting the Golden Globes winners because, like, that was a tendency that came through. Every year, I could always predict that it's supporting <laughs> supporting TV awards because it's like, oh, who's the most like the most respected actor in a very uh, it doesn't have to be widely watched uh, TV movie or miniseries, and it's always going to beat like, almost more ideal if it's not widely, and it's watched. always going to beat like David Hyde Pierce for Frasier or something like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even though like that's your Emmy favorite, uh, Golden Globes are weird. That's why I like them. Um, what else can we talk about about this? Uh, movies for Grown Up nominee yes. as Best Grown Up Love Story. Shockingly not for more. I was like, this is probably going to have like four movies for Grown Up A nominations. A real thin just, field that year. <laughs> uh, well, and it's also, I feel like we've maybe talked about this lineup before because it is deranged. Yes. Leisure Seeker is nominated opposite Our Souls at Night, the Netflix Robert Redford Jane Fonda movie that my mother absolutely loves. Your and mother I and I to. were the only two people who ever watched that movie. <laughs> I know. I was like, I've talked to literally no other people uh-huh. uh, except for friend and former guest Anita Steinberg who have seen that movie. Yeah. Um, Breathe, the Andrew Garfield Breathe. Still have never uh, seen. Directed by Andy Serkis. Wait, what, what's the grown-up love story in Breathe? Because Andrew Garfield is definitely not AARP age. Uh, Claire Foy is his wife. Also it not AARP age. Also not AARP. But it's like, this is a, a, the only people who watched this movie besides me. See, this and... is where the Emphrogies get really squishy, though. Is Sometimes their nominations are best... Best whatever achievement by people, actors who are in our 50 plus age range. And sometimes it's best achievement in a movie that is watched by people in our 50 plus age range. (laughs) And you kind of can't really predict which way they're going to go. And that's why sometimes you get Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy as their best grown up love story. And then the winner is even more so that the greatest showman. Who could forget the sterling romance. Listen, I am as big of a greatest greatest showman apologist as maybe not the biggest because there are fans of that movie. I am a pretty decent apologist for the greatest showman where I enjoy a lot of that movie, even though I don't think it's that good. Um, the romance between Hugh Jackman and Michelle Williams in that movie is not among that film's virtues. Well, here's the thing. They could be even less AARP and giving it for the romance between Zac Efron and Zendaya. Oh, I didn't even think about that. They at least have <laughs> I a mean, good production I mean, Zac Efron is probably close to twice her age when they filmed that movie. It could also be a best intergenerational oh, story. <laughs> He's like 40 and she's like 20. He's not 40. Zach Efron is secretly almost 40. I'm 40. He's not, well, I'm a little bit older than 40 at this point. Zach Efron is 
35. Let's not, let's, he's going through enough. I'm 35 too. <laughs> he's going through enough. Please. Don't tack on that extra five years. Uh, I just remember the Alaska uh, read of Detox uh, when everyone thinks that uh, Zach Efron is so hot. I'm like, unfortunately, I am unable to have sex with you because most of your parts are under 18 years of age. <laughs> Zach Efron. All right. Here's where the Zach Efron situation is going to really come to a head. I am so excited for this Sean, Sean Durkin, Durkin movie. movie. And he's playing Kevin Von Erich, the, the the sort of the Von Erich wrestling family. If you follow wrestling. The especially, cast of this damn movie, if, man. Especially if you followed wrestling in the 1990s or even 1980s. Like, the curse of the Von Erich family is like a thing that you probably have heard of where like so many of the people in that family died uh, before their time but it's Zac Efron the brothers are played by Zac Efron Harris Dickinson Jeremy Allen White from The Bear uh, and then Lily James is also in this movie Maura Tierney and Holt McElhaney I imagine are playing the parents it is a tremendous cast and Sean Durkin has yet to miss and Still, I keep begging him to make a horror movie because I think he would make the best horror movie ever, but he's not making, but he's making these movies that have, you can tell where he's going to bring a little bit of that, the nest, Martha Marcy, like this family is haunted, this family is cursed, and I could see him bringing that into the movie in a way that feels a little you know, genre bendy. And I'm so excited for it. This is not going to be just a regular biopic. And it's more a tyranny Oscar campaign. LFG. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, really, 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 really excited for that one. It's called the thing is it's Sean Durkin. So it's very much going to be a Sean Durkin movie. So I, I, I pump the brakes in terms of Oscar talk for this movie. Oh, I, I agree with that. I'm just excited to see it. And, and I'm excited to see what, we could get out of Zac Efron, whose career has gotten to a weird point. And I would, I, he's somebody I kind of root for ever since Hairspray. I feel like I kind of root for that guy. And I mean, Jude Law is obviously a very different actor, but that Sean Durkin got that Jude Law performance out of him in The mm-hmm. Nest makes me very, I, I feel like he knows exactly what to do with Zac Efron. I think that's right. I think that's right. So that's exciting. Um, how did we get on that? Oh, right. The AARP and Fergies. Yeah. So <laughs> Greatest Showman beat out the Ledger Seeker there. I think that's a good nomination for the Ledger Seeker. That's what the Fergies are kind of there for is um, a nomination like that. That's the only other really domestic nomination that that movie got. Everything else were like Italian awards. And uh, I wonder what the reception of it was like at Venice among the, like, Italian press, because it is an Italian director sort of making his English language debut. Well, I mean, I remember absolutely no word from uh, The Leisure Seeker at that Venice, uh, so I can't really speak to it. But I did kind of raise an eyebrow when I, uh, you know, in preparing for this episode, remembered it was in competition. I'd remembered it as being out of competition at Venice, but Mm. being in competition. But then, like, some of the other things that were in competition at this Venice, like uh, Suburbicon, which we've done an episode on. Oh, we sure have. That is a horrible movie. Downsizing, which we haven't done an episode on, right? Have we done? No, we did an episode on that. Yeah, we did an episode Um, on Downsizing, yeah. Also not a good movie. Golden Lion that year was Shape of Water uh, on mm-hmm. its road to the, the Oscar. Annette <clears throat> Benning, head of the jury. 
Oh, that's a good jury then. That's a good uh, Venice competition, though. Uh, even among, like, yes, downsizing, yes, Suburbicon, but like, first reformed, Ex Libris, the Frederick Wiseman movie, Ex Libris, the New York Public Library, a movie that everybody should watch now that uh, uh, Eric Adams is trying to gut the funding for the New York Public Library mm-hmm. system. Everybody get out there and watch Ex Libris and get radicalized. Um, <laughs> Lean on Pete, the Andrew Hay movie that I actually really liked. Mother, of course, Aronofsky, another movie that we've done uh, on this podcast. Uh, Three Billboards, which obviously has a big uh, Oscar trajectory that year. So, yeah, that's an interesting... Uh, I feel like people got into Foxtrot, that movie Foxtrot. I feel like that was a big sort Foxtrot's of... Foxtrot's a good movie. I had never seen it. What's it about? The Foxtrot? Um, it's somewhat of a war movie, a little bit, uh, but it's also like grieving at home. T- My problem with that movie is it opens with a guy basically beating his dog. Um oh. But that, I forget if it made it to, it got um, the Silver Lion. So it got second place at this Venice. And like, people really loved it at the time. I forget if it missed the International Feature nomination or not. But I feel I like not it get was the one that people did, were like, why wasn't this yeah, nominated? It was not nominated for Oscar because I have not seen it. Um, also that uh, Charlotte Rampling movie, Hannah. Uh, which is about, I would imagine, a woman named Hannah. Uh, that's <laughs> I believe sort of also I another dementia story. Oh, gosh. Okay. Sometimes I just love looking at festival juries when there's movies like this in lineups that I'm like, what did Annette Benning think while she was sitting there watching? What did Annette Benning think of Mother? I would. It's the first thing I'm going to ask her if I ever get to meet her in person. It's like, <laughs> you were on the Venice jury when Mother was in competition. What did you think of that movie? I would love to hear it. I bet you she would What was you your day like when you had to watch Mother and Ex Libris back to back? <laughs> what, or like, what if, what if Mother and like First Reformed were on the same? day like your brain would just be broken absolutely broken um that's very exciting (laughs) you went out and immediately gave to uh, i don't know uh some uh, climate change right so i knew that we were going to because the awards conversation about this movie is fairly limited to just a couple of things it didn't really ever have uh after that the Golden Globe nomination, that was sort of where its, it's trajectory kind of ended. Um, so I did decide that this was going to be a week for us to have a game, and I realized we have not done Alter Egos in a while, and oh. I miss it. And so I want to do Alter Egos this week, uh, the theme of which will be Alter Egos is the game where I give Chris the name of three characters from either movies or TV. He has to then... Uh, figure out who played those three characters and then what other movie those three actors were all in together. That's the game of Alter Egos. The answers to all of these are going to be movies that, much like The Leisure Seeker, got one and only one Golden Globe nomination. So these are one-time Golden Globe nominees. They are from the 90s, the aughts, and the teens. Nothing earlier than the 90s. All right? And... Any questions? No. All right. To begin, your first one is Janet Weiss, Judy Benjamin, and Lionel Logue. Uh, Janet Weiss is Susan. Uh, Lionel Logue, I definitely know. What was the middle name? Judy Benjamin. Sorry, I was taking a sip of my water. Benjamin. Also sounds somewhat familiar. 
Is this stepmom? It's not stepmom. Even yeah. though that might have been a one-time Oscar. No, maybe a score nominee for stepmom. But Susan was definitely nominated for that. Anyway, no, not stepmom. Um, Judy Benjamin. That name should help unlock that for you. Benjamin Button. Benjamin. Judy Benjamin. Oh, so Benjamin is not a first name, but a last name. <laughs> right, I was joking. Um, Judith. It's a movie with a Judy. Go the other way. Ben, uh, I know. Okay, so movie with last name Benjamin. Struggling. Perhaps in a military context. Um... This is bad. Like, Maybe not like a highly ranked military context, but like a, a lower military rank. Private Benjamin. Oh, this is the Banger Sisters. Yes. It is, you're talking about Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Lionel Logue is Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush. The King's Speech. Yes. Yes. All right. Next one. Clary Starling, India Stoker, and Bruce Wayne. Um. Uh. Clary Starling is... Jodie Foster. Um, Stoker is Mia Wasikowska. This is... Oh, boy. Um, Who are they in together? What was the third name? Uh, Bruce Wayne. A little little someone (laughs) called Bruce Wayne. Have you Uh, heard of him? So few people who have played Bruce Wayne. Um... Oh, interesting. Maybe Clarice is someone else. Uh, no. It's... What were they in together? Unless Lydia Stoker is Nicole Kidman, but I definitely can't think of a kidman Jody Foster movie. India Stoker, not Lydia Stoker. India Stoker. Um... India Tar. Um... <laughs> Mia and Jodie Foster were in... Who was nominated for this? Or what was it nominated for? It was nominated for, I believe, actress in a musical or comedy. Oh, that's weird. Um, so Jodie Foster probably nominated for a comedy that would have... Mia Wasikowska in it? Unless it's Mia that was nominated. I am... We haven't played this game in a while, and I'm bombing it. Um, I'm gonna need another hint. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, you're wrong in your assumption about the first one. So it's not Jodie Foster. Yeah. Okay, so Mia was either with Christian Bale or... Um, Michael Keaton or Val, not Val Kilmer, uh, possibly George Clooney. And there's also R. Pats, but this is a comedy. It's a comedy, but it's not really like a broad comedy. It's a, it's an artsy comedy. Okay. You love this movie. I do? Yeah. Okay, With you're, Mia. go back to the front, go back to the beginning. Clary Starling. So if it's not who you thought it was, 
If it's not Jody, it's whoever played Clarice on Hannibal. Oh no, it's Julianne Moore. Duh, I'm forgetting Hannibal the movie, yeah. and I was thinking Hannibal the show, and yeah. I was like, I don't know who played that. Um uh okay, so Julianne Moore, Mia. Oh, it's Julianne for Maps to the Stars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's Maps to the Stars. I thought you God. would get that one kind of right away. Okay. Maps to the Stars would be a fun episode. Uh we should probably do it. I hate that movie. Um next one. I defend it. Oh, I know. I yeah, you 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 very much enjoy it. A lot of people do. Uh Jimmy Hoffa, Carolyn Burnham, and Captain Georg von Trapp. <laughs> okay, so uh Georg von Trapp is plumber. Uh, what was the middle name again? Carolyn Catherine Burnham. Carolyn Burnham. Carolyn Burnham. And the first Jimmy one was Hoffa. Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. So that is either Nicholson or Pacino. Um, with Christopher Plummer. Carolyn Burnham. 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 Burnham is. Oh, I know this. The woman oh, who played God. Carolyn Burnham was Oscar nominated for playing Carolyn Burnham. And nearly won. Oh, I hate this. Huh? Nearly won for playing that role. I know. Oh, I hate that I can't get that and I can get the other two. Okay, so Christopher Plummer and. If you got it based on just the two names that you know, I would tip my hat to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would tip my hat to you. Oh, is, are you doing a top hat to me? Perhaps a fedora. I would tip my fedora to you. Okay. I can't tell if you're trying to get me to get the Carolyn Burnham movie or the nope. movie that this is. Nope. The movie that this is. Who are the actors who you've already named? Pacino or Nicholson and Christopher Plummer. Right. And perhaps fourth build would be the hat that one of them wore, who you, which you talked about quite extensively on the podcast episode that we did about this movie. Oh, okay. When have we talked about Nicholson? Uh, the bucket list. It's not the bucket list. Um, when have we talked about Pacino? Oh, Danny Collins. This is Danny Collins. This is Danny Collins. Yes. This is Danny Collins. You talked about Carolyn that goddamn Burnham is... Christopher Plummer fedora. For oh, like Carolyn Burnham is, an, is American Beauty. Is American yeah. Beauty. Yes. All right. Next one. God damn it. The Witch. Oh, I'm so rusty at this game. The Witch, Thaddeus Stevens, and Bobby Riggs. Bobby Riggs is uh, Steve Carell. The Witch, I am guessing, is Meryl Streep for Into the Woods. Um... They were both in, what was the middle name? Thaddeus Stevens. Oh, that's someone in Lincoln. Um, the witch could be someone different than Meryl. Thaddeus Stevens is Spader? Not Spader. Tommy Lee Jones? Tommy Lee Jones. Hope Springs. Hope Springs. You got it. Meryl... Uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Steve Carell, yes. All right, next one. Eduardo Saverin, General Zod, and Marmy March. Um, Laura Dern for Marmy March. Or Susan. Um, General Zod is Michael Shannon? Or Terrence Stamp? 
Terrence Stamp and Susan were in a movie together. The first name was Severin? Eduardo Saverin. Saverin. That's, is that Andrew Garfield? No? What's that name? Andrew Garfield, Susan. Wait, what was the one that I was saying was Susan? What's the name? Marmy March. Oh, okay. Andrew Garfield or Laura Linney, or not Laura Linney, Laura Dern. Um, hmm. Laura Linney would be a good Marmy March. Um, Yeah, agreed. Eduardo Saverin, okay. General Zod, Marmy March. 99 Homes. 99 Homes. Walk us through it. Uh, Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield and Laura Dern. Yes. And they are in 99 Homes. Very good. Nominated for Michael Shannon. Almost, almost an Oscar nominee. It is so interesting that like he didn't get nominated for that movie that he was showing up throughout the whole season. And his two Oscar nominations are for movies that he really kind of didn't. Yep. Yep, yep, I think so too. All right, next three. Geppetto, Sally Albright, and Captain Amazing. Tom Hanks is Geppetto. Um, Sally Albright is a name that I know. And Captain Amazing. I would not linger on Captain Amazing. I had to throw in Captain Amazing because this person did not have a whole lot of recognizable character names. Is this Larry Crown? It's not Larry Crown. Um, Sally Albright. That's not Meryl. That would also mean this would have to be the Post, and the Post definitely had more than one Globe nomination. Tom Hanks, though. Yeah, I'm not going to linger on Captain Amazing. What was the Tom Hanks character name? Geppetto. Taking that for granted. Geppetto. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Geppetto, Sally Albright, Captain Amazing. Sally Albright. I know this. Sally. Can I get a hint for who Captain Amazing is, maybe? Um, sure. Uh, Captain Amazing is a character in an ensemble superhero comedy that was kind of, uh, was overlooked but i think is an interesting curiosity from 1999 mystery men yes oh okay that's like ben stiller hank azaria who else is in that okay but that at least gives me kind of the tenor of who we're talking about i promise you you're Um, gonna have better luck if you just linger on that second name for a little bit longer sally albright it's 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 someone noteworthy like a julia roberts or like um Maybe not quite a Meryl, but Sally Sally Albright Albright. Oh, it's um, it's uh, it's Sally Field. No, Sally is a char- lead character name or like a titular character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps with another titular character in the same title. Sally and Hooch. <laughs> Sally and Louise. Um, something and Sally. Something. Why am I not getting this? Something, something, something Sally. Oh, man, I feel so stupid. Um, it's a great 
legendary movie. Should have been an Oscar winner for original screenplay. Um, oh, when Harry met Sally, it's you've got mail. It's you've got mail. Damn it! I literally watched that movie two days ago. Uh, Captain Amazing is, of course, Greg Kinnear in in uh, Mystery Men. Yes. Okay. Got it. All right. Next one: Clyde Barrow, Emily Cooper, and Hobie Doyle. Uh, Clyde Barrow is Warren Beatty. Yes. Is this rules don't apply? It is rules don't apply. Who's Emily Cooper? One of the worst movies I've ever seen in the theater. Yeah, who's Emily Cooper? Would you guess? Lily, uh, no. Lily? Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. Lily Collins, yes. Lily Collins. Yes. Lily Collins, Danny Collins. Hobie Doyle is, of course, my beloved Alden Ehrenreich in Hail Caesar. A movie that I wanted to watch. You're ready for the comeback. I wanted to watch Don't. Hail Caesar immediately after I was done with Babylon. I wanted like the 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 comedic <laughs> the comedic refresher after Babylon, a movie that I was quite taken with, actually. All right. Um Don Wiener, Henry McHenry, and Joel Maisel. Um Did you say Joel Maisel? Joel Maisel. Mm. Uh Don Wiener is Heather Matarazzo? Is that that character in Welcome to the Dollhouse? That's the character's name. Oh, but she's also in... That character shows up in other things, too. It's Greta Gerwig. This is Frances Ha. Yes, Frances Ha. Because she also plays Don Wiener in Wiener Dog. In Wiener Dog. Who's Henry McHenry? That is um, Adam Driver. In Annette. Um, Annette, yes. Henry Henry. Joel Maisel is, of course, uh, Michael Zegan, my beloved baby boy Michael Zegan, and marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Tiny, sweet, angel baby boy Michael Zegan. All right, next ones. Uh, Nora Crank, Katie Heron, and Ned Ryerson. <laughs> this is Freaky Friday. Yes, walk us through it. Jamie Lee Curtis, as in Christmas with the Cranks, Katie yes. Heron, obviously Mean Girls. Yes. Ned Ryerson is Stephen Tobolowsky, his character in uh, sure. Groundhog Day, Freaky Friday. Yes. All right. Next one. Count Olaf, Mary Sunshine, and Jenny Humphrey. Mary Sunshine is uh, Christine Baranski. Olaf is Josh Gad? Count Olaf, not Olaf. Count Olaf. Okay. What's the third name? Jenny Humphrey. Okay. What would Christine Baranski be third build or second build for? She's probably not second build, but I put her second in here just because of prominence. She's the second person you probably think of. It's got to be the Grinch. It is how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Christine Baranski as uh, Martha May Huvier. I'm the only hot hoo up in Whoville. Man, no, if their wife won't, I will. He's trying to get this Martha May who. Whoville sex is what I do. Martha May Huvier on my uh, mind ever since watching the Matt Rogers Christmas special, which I will be watching several more times throughout my lifetime. It's so good. Um, all right, next one. Nell Harper Lee. Turbo and Rose Nyland. Not Turbo. Um, okay, so Nell Harper Lee, the two options are Catherine Keener and Sandra Bullock. I'm going to guess while you were sleeping. It's not while you were sleeping. Turbo, though, means uh, there's that animated Turbo movie. What is he? He's like a super fast snail or mm-hmm. something. Is that 
possibly Benjamin Bratt, and we're talking about Miss Congeniality? It's not Benjamin Bratt. Okay. Nell Harper Lee, Turbo, and Rose Nyland. I'm not sure I know Rose Nyland. Remember, I sometimes do TV people. I know. <laughs> um, I mean, it's got to be Sandy. It is um, Sandy. I'll give you that it's Sandy. You should know... Two ro- weeks notice? You're going to get trumped out of homosexuality for not getting Rose Nyland. I'm sorry, but it's just true. Is it a show I've watched? I have to imagine it is. It's like a it's like a tentpole. It's like a Oh, it, that's um that's Golden Girls. Yeah. Oh, this is this is the proposal. It's the proposal. Yes. Yeah. Sandra Bullock is Harper Lee. Turbo is Ryan Reynolds. Rose Nyland is Betty White from the Golden Girls. All right. Two more. Violet cool. Newstead, Anna Delvey, and Lee Krasner. Um, okay. Anna Delvey is, <laughs> what's her damn name? Um, Lee Krasner. I know what that, what was the first one? Violet Newstead. Um, Violet. That is, um, Le- Lily Thompson in, um. Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, sorry. In 9 to 5. Yes. One of my favorite movies. Yes. Uh, this is Grandma. This is Grandma. The other one is Julia Garner. Anna Delvey is Julia Garner. Lee Krasner is Marsha Gay Harden's character from Pollock. Yes. All right, last one: Marta Cabrera, Salvador Dali, and Mary Yankovic. Uh, Salvador Dali is um, Adrian Brody, and Mary Yankovic, I'm guessing, is whoever plays. Uh, Weird Al's mom in the Weird Al movie. No mm-hmm. idea who that is. What was the first name again? Marta Cabrera. Marta Cabrera, which is a name I do know from something I... semi-recent. Mm-hmm. Adrian Brody. I can give you an alternate character for Mary Yankovic since you haven't seen that movie. Okay. Ivy Weston. Ooh. Um... Yeah, that's more familiar to me. Ivy. What does Weston do for you? Celia Weston. (laughs) No, (laughs) but in terms of characters, maybe perhaps part of a family of Westons. Yeah, um, I just forget what that is. (laughs) This brain turns my, uh, this game turns my brain into pudding. Um, Marta Cabrera is not a military thing nope but like maybe not investigative type of thing i can give you an alternate character for her for her too sure uh joy j-o-i oh that is amy poehler nope what do you think that's from oh i was thinking of inside out no oh no that's joy i believe just joy with a y j-o-i Hmm. I wonder if I can find a better character name for her. The Weston family is from... Uh, a play turned into a film. Oh, uh, yes. August Osage County. Mm-hmm. Ivy is Julianne Nicholson with Adrian Brody. What were they in together? 
You're going to have a hard time without the lead, I imagine, because the lead is kind of the whole... It's probably the, the nominee. Sh- the whole show. Yes, definitely the nominee. Um, Younger. Yeah. Not like... Oh, no. Uh, Marta Cabrera is Ana de Armas in Knives Out. This is Blonde. This you is Blonde. Me by making it a nominee from this year, you asshole. It's not a trick. It's it's legitimate. It's... it's yes. It is Blonde. Mara, Ana de Armas... Adrian Brody. The deeply not good blonde. Ivy Weston is Julianne Nicholson. It's blonde. Very good. That is the end of another fun and exciting Alter Egos. I hope our listeners were uh, actively Yelling at me the whole way because I <laughs> bombed. All right. What else do we Did wanna... you watch Blonde yet? No, I have not. I, I hope you never have to see it and it is not nominated because that movie is a piece of shit. Well, it's going to get not, it won't be nominated and then we will do it for our podcast. So oh, that's no. when I will watch well, it. Well, then give it that makeup nomination. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I will be seeing it one time. Um, I want to go back into my notes a little bit um, just because I do, I did write down a whole bunch. Um, starting the movie with It's Too Late, the opening notes of It's Too Late always make me think for a second that it's Walk On By, which made yeah. me think of um, uh, 45 Years vibes a little bit. All of that kind of like genre of like uh, music a little bit makes me think of 45 Years when Charlotte Rampling is picking out the music that she wants for her party. Um, that nice boy that Will met, I wrote down that whole quote. Also, your, your business partner, Richard, which I feel like is just like, should be a euphemism in and of itself. Are you bringing your business partner, your business partner Richard? Um, love a movie with an O.J. Simpson joke in 2017. Gotta love it. Who does he think I am, O.J. Simpson? That was very funny. Um, oh, um, the the queer uh, guy from the... the uh, I don't know if it was a resort or whatever. The guy who takes Helen Mirren on the little golf cart ride to find Donald Sutherland. And he's like, oh, an older Yankee type. I like them. And it's just like, oh, it's like one of our people. Um, the Trump thing. They do uh, dance to Don't Leave Me This Way in their fancy little hotel suite. That was fun. They do. Uh, Danielle Deadweiler. Can't oh. believe that the sex scene isn't after dancing to Don't Leave Me This Way. I know, I know. Who could resist? I wrote down this movie could have been called The Old Man and the Gun, and The Old Man and the Gun could have been called The Leisure Seeker, and like uh, you could uh, either would work very well. Oh, did you notice that the one woman from the uh, old folks' home that she tries to dump Donald Sutherland in is the checkout girl from Magic Mike Double XL? I did. That was in my notes, but you beat me to it. Yeah, Uh, Dana Ivy is a harlot. Me and Bobby McGee. Yeah. That's my notes. That's all I got. What about you? Uh, yeah, you stole my Magic Mike girl uh, joke. <laughs> we should maybe do double XL soon. Yeah, um, we should. Yeah, I, I, I came out positive on this movie. Good. I think it has a 38 Rotten Tomatoes, which is just it's like too low. clear. That's a I think too low. people not meeting this movie on its level. I think you can see the clearly worse version of this movie while yeah. you're watching yeah. this, and you're thankful that it's not that. Agreed. Yes. 
Uh, do we want to go into the IMDb game and then wrap it up? Yeah, let's. Every episode, we end with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. All right, would you like to go first... Give first or guess first. Uh, as well. uh, why if you know if I'm gonna tank on this too, <laughs> might as well just keep it rolling. From alter egos, uh, hit me. All right. So I uh, went the route of Helen Mirren's many, many Golden Globe nominations, one of which was, I said, for that TNT TV movie, Door to Door. The star of that movie <laughs> was William H. Macy. We've never done William H. Macy before. Uh, one television show, and then three films. Okay. Um, one television show. Oh, Shameless. Shameless, correct. Fargo. Yes, correct. Magnolia. Correct. Three for three, or are you going to go four for four? Okay, Bill Macy. There's, mm, there's a lot of things it could be. Is it Pleasantville? It is not Pleasantville. Okay, One no strike score for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could also guess Boogie Nights. I feel like he's further down on the cast list for Boogie Nights than he is for Magnolia. Um, the thing is, he's never the headliner. He's usually like third build and stuff. So I'm trying to think if there's something he is the headliner of. Which is why it's so ironic that his one Oscar nomination is in Best Supporting Actor for a movie in which he is the lead. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, hmm. I don't think it's going to be another... Well, is he in another Coen's? He has to be. I'm just going to say Boogie Nights to get my It is ear. Boogie Nights. Oh, it's Boogie Nights. Correct. Okay, cool. <laughs> is he in another Coen's movie, though? He's. You're right that like it feels like he's got to be. I don't think he is. And that's, if he is, it's got to be really small. That's really strange, considering... Uh, he's how, so perfect in Fargo. Yes, like tremendously perfect. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I wonder why that is the case. Unless we are missing something, but like I'm scrolling through... And I don't see it. All right. Anyway, three for four. Almost a perfect score. Very good. All right. What do you got for me? You've you've totally made up for alter egos. Any kind of uh, <laughs> struggle you may have had Hopefully. there. Um, you've made up for it. So I went into the Venice jury for this movie. We talked about how uh, you just want to know what people uh, think about the individual movies that you're uh, talking about. I chose for you uh, someone who was also on the most recent Can jury, none other than uh, our beloved Rebecca Hall. Oh, have we never done Rebecca Hall? I would pay Hall? money to know what Rebecca Hall thinks of Mother. Oh my gosh. Okay. <sighs> Rebecca Hall. Oh, she's going to be an interesting one because she's another one where it's like anything bigger that she did, she's a smaller role and anything lead that she did is a smaller movie. Um, I don't think Resurrection's going to be there yet. I'm going to say The Night House. Incorrect. Damn. 
I almost feel like I'm I'm flirting with going O for two to start, but I'm gonna guess Iron Man three. <laughs> also incorrect. Okay. Uh, you know she replaced Jessica Chastain in that. Yes. Which is like, why are either of those actresses even considering that nothing part? Um, okay, so your years money. are 2000. Yes. People like money. People like uh, having their profiles raised. I too like having money. Yes. Um, 2006, 2008, 2010, 2016. 2008 is Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Yes. What are the two later years? 10 and 16. 10 and 16. Is 2006 Starter for 10? No. My beloved Starter for 10. Um, 2010 and 2016. I feel like I'm missing an obvious one, right? At least one obvious one? Um, I... Hmm. How, what path do I want to lead you down? <laughs> Is 2016 Professor Marston in The Wonder Woman? No. Okay. I'm bombing this one. I will say 2016 is the biggest role of these three. Okay. Um, Biggest role, smallest movie. Okay. Was she Both nominated for things? Margin. Was she um, nominated for things for that movie? Um, I think some small things. Yeah. Definitely couldn't crack that field. 2006, is it like something very British? Uh, it is British, but not. I would not follow that. Oh. I mean, okay. no. Well, is she British in that? I don't actually... No, I take that back. I'm pretty sure she is playing an American in this movie. Okay. I haven't seen it in a while. There's a lot of British people involved, I will say. Okay. <laughs> um, and maybe an Australian. Okay. Like a famous Australian? Yes. Like a Russell Crowe kind of famous Australian? Not Russell Crowe, but, you know, that level. Nicole Kidman? No. Naomi Watts? Male Australian. Male, oh, Hugh Jackman? Yes. Hugh Jackman, 2000. Oh, it's The Prestige. I always forget that she's in The Prestige. She's spectacular in This Prestige. She is. I, that was, one. That was the, I think, the first thing a lot of people saw her in. And I, think, I feel like yeah. that in Starter for Ten I saw... I can't remember which one I saw first, but it was those two together that I was like, oh, Rebecca Hall. Very interesting. Um, 2010, 2016. Really surprised you haven't gotten 2010 based on what your preamble was for Re- Rebecca Hall. That it's small roles in big movies and, and lead roles in small movies? Basically, but okay. this, is, this is the quintessential why is Rebecca Hall playing roles like this? movie 2010 so it's a blockbuster sure action thing action drama oscar nominated oscar nominated in like a big category uh in an acting category probably close to being a best picture very likely almost nominated for best picture Okay, 2010 oh god it's the town i'm so angry the town the town totally misuses her i get so mad at the town for many things of course it's the town it was essentially 11th place people got so mad that winter's bone beat out the town for that best picture nomination um way better movie like i know winter's bone i know whoops i know the town's ass yeah okay 2016 it's a sundance movie 
Okay. She... I mean, I could just give it to you. It's a titular character. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, she's great in this. I would have nominated her for uh, actress for this. It's Christine. Yep. Christine. She's great. She rules in that movie. Can't believe I forgot it. Can't believe that and The Prestige. I love her in both of those. Um, All right. So now I then have uh, have taken the mantle of Struggle Bus for uh, (laughs) a game in this episode. You deserve it. I deserve it. Okay. Thank you for kicking off the year with a great episode, Chris. This is not the first uh, episode of the year for listeners, but for us recording. We're recording this on New Year's morn. All right. Uh, Thank you. For listening, dear listeners, uh, that is our episode on The Leisure Seeker. If you would like more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So order up a burger and a happy swirl and then write something sweet about us, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Your tender peace.